With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. What up, Cavs Nation? I'm your host, Ethan Sands, and this is another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm joined by your favorite beat reporter, Chris Fedor. What up, Chris? What's going on, Ethan? How are you, man? I'm doing well. I wanted to shoot straight today, straight to the point. We're talking about Evan Mobley and Jared Allen today in this episode. When it comes to the tandem in the front court, do you think that they work better together, or is it time to start looking at what they look like apart? I think it depends on matchups. I understand the merits of of making Evan Mobley the full-time five and going with a four-shooter lineup. I also understand the merits of going with Jared Allen and Evan Mobley together and what that means for the Cavs on the defensive end of the floor. The thing that I would say is if you watch the game against Detroit, that was a tough matchup for Evan. He was very quiet. He was getting pushed around. The Pistons were just more physical than Evan was underneath. And like there are certain matchups like that, Ethan, where Evan playing the five isn't the best thing for the Cavs because he's just not ready for it physically. You know, so many people talk about Anthony Davis and his transition to the five and Chris Bosh and his transition to the five and Kevin Garnett and his transition. Well, it's like that didn't happen right away for those guys. It happened more towards the end of their career as they got more comfortable inside, as they got more physically mature, as they got bigger and stronger And I just think while the Cavs have somebody like Jarrett on the roster, who is an impactful player at both ends of the floor, the Cavs do not have to be in a rush to turn Evan Mobley in a full-time five role. Yeah, I agree. I think there's good and bad to both options. Right now, I'd say they work better together. Evan is still growing, as you mentioned, and as I've said a lot this season, could use help when it comes to bigger bodies in the paint. Because when he has to guard heftier players like we saw against Detroit on defense, his offensive production also takes a toll. But we've seen the four-guard lineup work well when Jarrett or Evan are separated because there's more spacing and less congestion in the paint. Speaking of that four-guard lineup, we've been seeing more of this. How much have you liked this pairing, and do you like it better with Jarrett or Evan at the five? It's probably about the same, if we're being honest. I think if you look at the numbers, the Cavs with Jared at the five and the Cavs with Evan at the five, it's pretty comparable because they have similar skill sets, similar enough skill sets. And I think they have similar weak points as well. So I think it just kind of depends. 
based on who the other four guys are around that particular player. And I also think it depends on matchup. Like there are some matchups where you're just not going to get away with that, right? If you play against the burly New York Knicks that are going to bully you inside and pound the glass with Julius Randle and Mitchell Robinson, it's going to be a little bit more difficult for the Cavs to go one of those guys at center and then four shooters around. It's doable because Niang can be pesky on the defensive end of the floor and he can bother guys that aren't super quick. But it is matchup based, I think, still at this point when it comes to the Cavs. But I like it, Ethan, because it gives them more shooting, it gives them more spacing, it gives them more diversity on the offensive end of the floor, it gives them a little bit more upside on the offensive end of the floor as well. And I don't think it's surprising that in short bursts, that kind of lineup can be really, really impactful, given some of the options that JB has at his disposal to play a smaller type style. I think I would have to go with liking Jarrett at the five more just because it feels like there's more protection. And if you were to put a lineup out like with Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, Isaac Okoro, Max Struess, and Jarrett Allen, you still get Isaac Okoro at the three and being able to defend on the perimeter, which is what Evan helps out with with Jarrett on the defensive end. But it feels like to me that even as tall as he is, Evan doesn't feel like a true center to me at this point. And no, he's not. He's not. And you talked about it earlier in this podcast. He gives off very much young Chris Bosh, young Kevin Garnett. And, I mean, and Giannis was really, really skinny coming into the league. Don't get me wrong. Evan is a great defender and is better than Jarrett at perimeter defense that I just mentioned, which is important in today's game. But it feels like the true center is kind of coming back with players trying to impose their will on smaller centers as teams have been trying to stretch the floor but against those teams like the Nuggets the 76ers and the Bucks who the Cavs have coming up you need Jarrett in the paint to man the middle look I mean Jarrett is a natural center he's been a center his entire career since coming into the NBA there wasn't any kind of debate is he a four is he a five based on his size based on his skill set based on his strengths and weaknesses so it makes sense that Jarrett would be more comfortable in those kinds of lineups without Evan, right? It would make sense that the Cavs can function a little bit better with Jarrett at the five and no Evan, as opposed to Evan at the five and no Jarrett, because Evan Mobley, since coming into the NBA, has been a full-time four. Now, yeah, there are times throughout the course of a game, yeah, there are times throughout the course of a season that Evan is going to get spot minutes at the five, and he's going to be the backup five based on the roster construction right now. But at the same time, like one guy is a natural at the position, and the other guy is learning all of the nuances of the position. Evan's responsibilities when he plays the full-time five on offense are different, right? He's more of a screen setter and a roller and a lob threat and stuff like that. His responsibilities when he's playing full-time five without Jarrett on the defensive end are different too. He can't be as much of a help defender. He can't be as much of a weak side defender. He can't be as much of a roamer. It's just a different kind of role that he's thrust in when he plays the full-time five without Jarrett. And it makes sense that Evan is still learning those aspects of it. It makes sense that Evan is still trying to get more comfortable playing that particular position because he just hasn't since coming into the NBA. 
when we're talking about how impactful Evan can be on both sides of the floor, I think putting him in that five role, like we've talked about, takes away from his offensive production, which we've seen recently has gone up. He's been more adamant on taking shots outside of five feet. He's taken three-pointers. He's made three-pointers in the last couple of games, and that is something that we want to keep seeing from Evan, especially with the Cavs struggling on offense right now, needing somebody else to step up in Donovan Mitchell's lackluster performances on field goal percentage as of late. We've talked about on multiple occasions to make this Cavs team as good as it can be in the future, now, whenever, Evan needs to be able to be a, right now in this lineup, in this roster, would be a top three scorer for the team, and potentially later being a top one or top two guy for the offensive production, as well as what he brings to the table on the defensive end. Ethan, I think the complicated thing when it comes to the whole Jared Allen and Evan Mobley together versus apart conversation is this. What is it that you're trying to get out of it? What is it that you're trying to fix? Because if you're somebody out there that is saying, all right, the Cavs offense is just trash and it needs to be better. And if it's not better, it's going to cap their ceiling and they're probably going to be first round playoff exit just like last year. If that's how you feel, then I can understand that. Then there are merits to saying, all right, One way to get a little bit more offensive-minded is to add another shooter and to break up Jarrett and Evan. Because with those two guys on the court together, the Cavs have an offensive rating of like 107, which in today's NBA is not very good. So you're trying to get a little bit more offense. But there's also an argument that says, hey, like the Cavs won 51 games behind their defense. This is a defense-first team. This is a defense-first organization. And they need to fix that first before they start looking at changing some lineups, changing some rotations, trying to get a little bit more offensive juice. So it all depends, like, what are you trying to get out of the move? Do you feel like the offense needs to be significantly better? Do you feel like the Cavs need to get back to their defensive roots? You know what I mean? Yeah, I I think they do because that's what this team is and that's what they've been. So then breaking up Jared and Evan doesn't make a whole bunch of sense to me because they're going to be a better defensive team. Their highest ceiling defense is always going to have both of them together. Right now, you need both. If you take one of them out, you may get more offense with the defense goes down significantly right because who are you putting at the four so if, if you're taking out one of Jarrett or Evan who are you putting at the four and I think that might be the position that the Cavs don't really have like when you came into the season before the injuries they had at least three guards starting and on the bench ready to go in and you had I guess you had Evan as the backup five but you never really had a four that you can sub in and be able to take on the role that Evan was doing. Because obviously we consider George Nyang and Max Struess and Dean Wade to be smaller versions of power forward. Right. So that's the thing, right? Like there's a give and take with a lot of lineup decisions that any coach is going to make, whether it's Steve Kerr in Golden State, whether it's Eric Spolstra in Miami, whether it's J.B. Bakerstaff here in Cleveland. 
it's not that the Cavs don't have competent four options. They do. Niang can play the four. Struess can play small ball four. Dean Wade can play the four when healthy. The thing is, the difference between Evan, the gap between Evan as a defender and whoever the Cavs are going to replace him with in that kind of setup is unbelievably significant. <laughs> and I don't even think you can say that you're you're going to go get somebody in the trade deadline. No, it's not about that. I still think the gap would be defensively at least would still be very wide for anybody and that's the hard thing with comparing Evan Mobley's to anybody else that they would go get even on the bench like of those options in terms of just if you're trying to stay afloat defensively or be close to the same kind of defense that you would want to be of those options Dean Wade probably gives you the best chance at that more so than Max Struess, more so than Niang. But again, the gap between unicorn defender Evan Mobley, who is like in the conversation for Defensive Player of the Year every single year, and either Niang or Wade or Max Struess, or if you want to go Isaac Okoro in small ball lineups and things like that, it's pretty significant. And then you have to ask yourself, okay, if I'm doing that, am I gaining enough on the offensive end to justify that, right? And I don't know the answer to that. Like, are you getting enough offense, enough shooting, enough spacing from Niang, from Wade, from Struess, from Levert, from Okoro, whoever plays the four in those kinds of looks to offset what you're losing defensively? I think the only player that we can look at that consistently know that we can have step up and give an offensive lift would be Struess in those setups because like you think about it if George Niang has off nights Dean Wade has off nights Max Struess has the ability to shoot lights out and also get to the paint distribute all those other things I honestly couldn't see them putting Karis LeVert at the four but that's just me but I think Struess is the only person that I could say confidently would be the person to put at the four and say, okay, we're going to be much, much better offensively than if we just stuck with our regular lineup. But again, it goes back to that only works in specific matchups because that's asking a lot of Max Struess to play the power forward spot. We're going to take a quick break, but don't go too far because when we come back, we're going to get Chris's take on some rebounding and defensive matchups. To become a Cavs insider and interact with Chris and I, subscribe to Subtext. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word stop. It's easy, but we can tell you that the people who sign up Stick around, because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from myself and Chris. This isn't just our podcast, it's your podcast. And the only way to have your voice heard is through subtext. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. 
Priceline. All right, we're back. Chris, there have been games where the Cavs have relied on players like Max Struess and Donovan Mitchell to get rebounds more than Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. Can you explain why that might be? Well, I think part of it is the responsibility that each of those guys has. It starts there. If Evan and Jared are going to battle guys underneath and they're going to try and box out whoever it is. Against Detroit, it was big Isaiah Stewart and Jalen Duran, who is one of the premier rebounders in the NBA. Also one of the youngest kids in the NBA as well. But like, if that's their responsibility and they're the ones boxing out, okay, then somebody else has to come in and get those rebounds. I also think that Jared and Evan have so much other responsibility on the defensive end of the floor. And sometimes they switch and they're pulled out to the perimeter and sometimes, you know, Evan Mobley is roaming as opposed to sitting in the paint and things along those lines. So I think because they have to cover up so many holes on the defensive end of the floor and they have to erase mistakes on the defensive end of the floor, like they can't do all of that and then get back in position properly to get rebounds and stuff like that. And if you think about it, like if the Cavs blitz like they did in the playoff series against New York and they send a second defender against whoever the ball handler is, Trey Young against Atlanta like they were doing, Malcolm Brogdon at times against Portland like they were doing, Shea Gilders Alexander at times when they played against Oklahoma City, like the second defender that's coming to bother that guy on the perimeter is either Jarrett or Evan and asking those guys to go out there and do that job and then go back and get into position for a rebound. Like that's almost unrealistic because they're going to be behind whoever the guy is on the inside already because they're coming all the way from the perimeter. So I think there are a bunch of different things in saying all of that, Ethan, like both guys have to be better when it comes to finishing defensive possessions with the rebound and rebounding continues to be a problem for this team. Right. So is there a way to elevate the rebounding game knowing all of those things? I think like Max Struess has been huge on the boards for the Cavs and even just tipping balls out to reset possessions. And Donovan Mitchell has also done his part on, on the boards as well, but it feels like, a team that has two bigs going over the team with one big or sometimes even small ball lineups is still getting out-rebounded. And I'm trying to figure out where the Cavs need to go to help fix that or if they need to stop blitzing or what is the best scenario for them to do? Well, they're 23rd in rebound percentage, and that's right around teams like Indiana, Portland, Oklahoma City, Dallas teams that you would expect also to be in that same kind of range because of their roster makeup. And it's a little bit strange that the Cavs are there because of their roster makeup and they have two bigs, two seven footers that they're committed to. And you think that they would be better, but like Jared Allen isn't Mitchell Robinson, right? Evan Mobley isn't Julius Randle. Neither guy is Rudy Gobert. Certain players just have strengths and weaknesses. And it seems like for Jarrett and Evan, they can get pushed around from time to time underneath and not finish possessions with the rebounds. So some of this could just be a product of their personnel. 
And I would also say that the Cavs like don't have elite rebounding guards. Donovan Mitchell can go get you, you know, five to ten rebounds. He can hop. He's got long arms and things along those lines. But it's not like they're some of the better rebounding guards in the NBA. They don't have Josh Hart out there, right? They don't have Tyrese Maxey, who's a very good rebounder for his position, or Stephen Curry, who's a very good rebounder for his position and things like that. I just think the way that this roster is made up, that's probably as weird as it sounds because they're two bigs. That's probably just going to be a problematic thing until they change their personnel and they get an elite rebounder in here or something like that, or guards that can do a better job on the board. I would have to say that it's definitely up to the guards, especially with the roles that Jared Allen and Evan Mobley have on the defensive end to make hustle plays. Like that's, one of my favorite things about watching Max Struess play is he's just going to get after it on every possession. Like, doesn't matter if offense, defense, if the ball's loose or anything. Another player that does that for the Cavs a lot is Isaac Okoro. Like, you see him diving on the floor a whole lot and just getting after it. And those are the gritty, grimy kind of players that the Cavs need, especially in a lineup where you have two bigs that are doing a lot and can't always get back to get a rebound, like we mentioned. He had seven boards against Detroit, and those things were contested rebounds. Those were in-traffic rebounds. Those were big-boy rebounds by Isaac. The Cavs definitely need more of that kind of stuff from whoever's playing the two-slash-three. Yeah, and especially with people coming off the bench. like We expect that from Dean Wade. We expect that from George Niang. The role for you coming off the bench is to give all the effort on every play because you don't know how long you're going to be in the game. I know I'm on his fan club, but Craig Porter Jr. does that as well on the defensive end when guarding perimeter defenders and being gritty and grimy in the perimeter. But we've talked a lot about the big men today, and I wanted to talk about the matchups that they have coming up, which are almost all tall tasks. Games against players like Kristaps Porzingis, Zion Williamson, Paolo Bencaro, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Bam Adebayo are all coming up in the remainder of this month. How do you prepare for stretches like these? And based on the lineups we've talked about earlier in the show, who would you expect to be given the tall task based on the matchup? If I had to pick who I would want to guard the people that we're talking about right now, I think Evan faces off with Kristaps and Bam and maybe even Paolo. And then I give Zion and Giannis to Jarrett. I'm so glad you brought up Zion because he's big, he's burly, he can hop, right? He is one of the worst rebounders at his position, right? It just goes back to some guys just aren't great at certain things. I don't know why he can't grab a defensive rebound, but it's striking the amount of times that he just doesn't. For somebody his size, with his quickness, with his athleticism, with his girth. So I don't think... Like that kind of player can be a problem for the Cavs. I don't think that kind of team can be a problem for the Cavs. Valanchunas, it's a different conversation. He's burly. He pushes people around underneath. He inhales rebounds. That's like a tougher matchup, I think, for both Jarrett and Evan. Porzingis, stylistically, if he even plays, he's probably not going to play in their in-season tournament game against Indiana. So who knows if he's going to be ready for when the Cavs get to Boston for that series setup. But stylistically, I don't think he's somebody that's going to give the Cavs a whole bunch of problems. Orlando's tricky, Ethan. In some ways, the Magic remind me of the Cavs of last year. They do everything hard. 
They compete their asses off. They wear you down because of how relentless they are and how hard they play. Like that style, it's been missing from the Cavs in the first quarter of this season. You just haven't seen it to the same level. You see it from some guys and you see it in stretches during games. But Orlando is just competing harder than most teams on a nightly basis. And they make everything difficult on every team that they play against. And you feel it by the end of the game. You're exhausted. You're physically beat up. So I think Orlando is going to be a really tough test for the Cavs. Miami's always a tough team for the Cavs, especially in Miami. But stylistically, like Bam Adebayo is not Mitchell Robinson and Julius Randle. You know what I mean? So I just think there are certain matchups that are more favorable for the Cavs' big man pairing than others. And sometimes you just have that. When I was mentioning Zion, the thing that threw me off with him, the fact that when he was at Duke, was working on his outside shot, working on all of those things, and then came into this summer and saying that he wanted to be unguardable. The man has taken 16 total shots outside of 10 feet with 259 attempts coming within the 10-footed area, and most of those at the rim. He ranks 15th in the league in field goal percentage at 56.7%. So look, I'm not more so talking about rebounds and all that stuff. I'm worried about somebody in the paint just getting bullied because, like you said, he's just a massive presence, and all his work comes from within the paint. Yeah, I think Jarrett. I think that's a matchup more for Jarrett, just because of the physical element of it. And then you put Evan on Valanciunas? I mean, it's it's not an ideal situation either way. But I think it's like, which one are you willing to live with more, right? Like, if Valanciunas beats you, are you okay with that? If Zion beats you, are you okay with that? Understanding that there are just matchup complications in that particular setup. But like we've seen Jarrett at times, nobody stops Giannis, but he bothers Giannis because he has enough foot speed to keep up with him. And he's got enough strength and physicality at times to wall off the paint. Like Al Horford is somebody that has given Giannis, quote unquote, problems. Grant Williams is somebody who has given Giannis, quote unquote, problems. Again, nobody stops Giannis. But you just have to bother the guy enough. You got to make him work enough. You got to make things hard on him. And I think even though Evan is giving up so much size to somebody like Jonas Valanciunas, his reputation as a defender and the way that he can be as a defender, I think the Cavs are okay enough with that rather than having him try and deal with with Zion just like attacking relentlessly. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, I think it's going to be interesting, the Bucks game especially, because now you get to see what the pick-and-roll game looks like with Giannis and Dame. Except for they don't run it a lot, which is bizarre to think about. They still haven't tapped into that as much as you would expect. I was listening to the great Zach Lowe, the Low Post podcast, driving back from Detroit, and I forget the number that he threw out, but it was a very, very low number. Everything that Milwaukee talked about after getting Dame and during training camp and going into the regular season was, we've got what looks like an unstoppable pick-and-roll pairing, and yet they're not running it as much as you would think they would, given what they were talking about. They're not inverting it either. They're not having 
Giannis bring the ball up and Dame set the screen for him. It's really, really bizarre. And I, I think part of the reason why Milwaukee is kind of off to this wonky start is because they're not taking advantage of what could be their best pet set. And maybe they're just holding off on it. Maybe they're just working on it behind the scenes and they aren't ready to unleash it in a game situation or they're not comfortable enough unleashing it in a game situation or they don't want to overuse it. I don't know. But it's bizarre that they have what seems like one of the most formidable duos in the NBA and a pet set that they can go to at any moment and they're hesitant to use it. It would be like the Cavs just completely abandoning the pick and roll when they have two elite pick and roll players and an elite pick and roll big. You can't, right? Because you have so much talent that you have to take advantage of that. And for some reason, Milwaukee's not doing it. It's bizarre. I'm glad you mentioned the comparison because I was running some numbers earlier and Damian Lillard ranks fourth in average points off the pick and roll as the ball handler. So you would think that he would be dumping it down to Giannis or whatever it may be, but he's got 11.4 points average off of pick and roll while Donovan Mitchell has 9.1 which is at 10th in the league so it's really interesting to see like they don't use it but when they do it's effective enough for Dame to still be like top five in the league and yet they're still not using it I mean it's crazy effective they should use it more with how effective it is but with that everybody we're gonna wrap up this episode of the wine and gold talk podcast But remember to become a Cavs insider and interact with Chris and myself by subscribing to Subtext. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word STOP. It's easy, but we can tell you that the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from myself and Chris. This isn't just our podcast, it's your podcast. And the only way to have your voice heard is through subtext. Y'all be safe. We out.